I promise, you wait, I will. I promise, you wait, I will. Now, I have a waiting deficiency. It is like a proper thing, I think, uh, this waiting deficiency that I have. I hate waiting for the bus. I hate waiting for the microwave to ping. I like, I'm one of those people that I put my soup in the microwave at lunchtime for three minutes and then I get it out after two because I'm just bored of waiting and then it's cold and I have to go and put it back again. I have a waiting deficiency. I really struggle with waiting. I have like physical reactions to waiting as well. I have like heart palpitations, sweaty palms, waiting and Libby Talbot don't go well together. And I was recalling this week one particular incident of waiting that probably scarred me for life. Um, Myself and a group of friends were planning a trip to Southern Ireland and uh, we were all excited. We booked everything. We planned what we were going to do. It was going to be amazing. But then I met John, who is now my husband. Uh, And so by the time the holiday came around, John and I had been going out for about eight weeks. And uh, and I was absolutely besotted, um, you know, madly in love. Every spare minute and every minute that wasn't spare, I was thinking about John. I was dreaming uh, about our next date together. I'd planned our whole wedding. Uh, you know, it was full on. I was, and I was, I was, it, my friends must have been so irritated by me at that point. I was completely uh, mushy and besotted and irritating. Uh, and the problem is, The problem was uh, that the uh, holiday to Ireland had been organised before John and I met. And so I was facing seven whole days away from John. Uh, And it was going to be torture. I didn't want to wait that long to see him again. Anyway, I managed to just about survive uh, the week and enjoy it, um, helped by a little bit of Irish whiskey and some lovely Irish beaches. And uh, and we had a really good time. But I I, I didn't enjoy it in the way that I knew I should because I was waiting to see John again. Anyway, I made it to the end of the week uh, and I just couldn't wait to get back to Bristol where I was studying at Theological College and where uh, John worked as a teacher uh, to see him again. And we uh, managed to catch our ferry in Dublin. Uh, We survived a perilous journey across the sea. If you have ever done the crossing from Dublin to Pembrokeshire, it is one of the most vomit-inducing crossings, I reckon, in the whole of the British Isles. But anyway, that day was quite smooth, so we did really well. And the car rolled off the ferry at about 12 noon. And I was thinking, fantastic, four hours, we're going to be reunited. It's going to be amazing. I was really impatient to see John again. And then absolute disaster happened. Near Cardiff, we hit a traffic jam. Now, it wasn't just any old traffic jam. It was a huge traffic jam, a traffic jam that wasn't moving. And I started to get those palpitations and those sweaty palms. Uh, And we were like, what is going on? So we turned on the radio, found the the, uh, news that tells you about the traffic, because we didn't have smartphones in those days. And we discovered that we were caught up in one of those lorry protests that were happening in the year 2000. I don't know whether you remember, uh, a lot of haulage companies uh, started blockading refineries and distilleries, uh, protesting about the price rises in 
in fuels. And then the other thing that they did was that they started to move. They get like loads of lorries on the motorway and start to move really slowly down the M4, okay, which I was on. I was not impressed. You know, up to that point, I'd been quite sympathetic with the lorry drivers and their like protests. But at this point, I was livid. I was not happy with the lorry drivers at all. It was horrendous. We were sat on the M4. The prospect of seeing John after seven whole days was hanging over me. I was not a happy bunny, and we had to wait and wait and wait. Eventually, the cars started to move, and they'd obviously decided to go and blockade some other motorway. Uh, and eventually, we did arrive back in Bristol about midnight, okay? So I, didn't, I don't think I even... We were discussing it, whether we actually got to see each other that night. And I don't... I think we, I might have gone and woken him up at his house, but um, John seems to think I didn't at all. I don't do waiting. I promise you wait, I will. I promise you wait, I will. We might know the promise, but sometimes the wait, the trusting can be unbearable. At the beginning of Luke's second book, the book of Acts, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been with his disciples for about 40 days, eating with them, teaching with them, hanging out with them, sharing life with them. And here Luke records that Jesus once again sits down to eat with his followers. It's amazing how many incredible moments happen between Jesus and his followers when they're sat down to eat. It's worth noticing that as you go through the Gospels and the beginning of Acts as well. And I was sort of thinking, you know, if I was one of Jesus' followers sitting down with somebody who I'd hung out with for three years, then I'd seen crucified, and then had risen from the dead and had been with us on and off for 40 days, I would be sat there listening to every single word he had to say. Because I think I would think that every word he had to say to me would be really important and really special. And so Jesus begins by giving some instructions to his followers. He says this in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait, wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. I promise you wait, I will. I promise, my Father has promised that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You wait, wait in Jerusalem until you receive this gift, and I will do it. That's a really familiar pattern uh, that we see through the Bible. God promises, followers, the people, we wait, but then the I will, I will fulfill my promise. Here Jesus says, you will receive power with the, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So let's just spend a few moments this morning unpacking these three things. I promise, you wait, I will. So firstly, I promise. A promise is something that you can trust in that you build things on. You might build your life on it. I remember my mum and dad um, promising that when we moved house, when I was 10 years old, from Sheffield to Shipley, Yorkshire girl, um, when I was 10, they promised me that they would buy me a pink beanbag for my bedroom, okay? And I hung on to that promise, let me tell you. I reminded my parents on a regular basis that they'd promised me a pink beanbag for my bedroom. I designed, in my mind, uh, my whole bedroom around this pink beanbag, which would come. Uh, and I waited, 
and I never got my pink beanbag. And obviously, I'm absolutely scarred for life, to the point where about three years ago, John bought me a pink beanbag uh, just to sort of try and heal the wounds of the broken promise. <laughs> a promise has all sorts of hopes and expectations wrapped up within it. And the promise here is that even though Jesus is saying he will soon be leaving them, they will receive the gift. They will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of God with them at all times and in all places. And this is not a new promise either. In the Old Testament, the prophet Joel records this promise of God in Joel 2:28. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I will pour out my spirit on all people, he's saying. And then in John, when, when John is baptizing people in the River Jordan, uh, we read this. He declares, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in John 14, Jesus himself again promises the Holy Spirit. All this I have spoken while still with you, he says. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything I have said to you. And then here in Acts 1, the resurrected, resurrected Jesus is saying, you thought baptism with water was what it was all about. You just wait till you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You wait until you receive this incredible gift, the power of God washing over you and filling you every day for the task that I've set before you. I have promised you the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying. Now wait, wait, wait until you receive it. All through the Bible... There are stories of people receiving a promise from God and then having to wait. And I was thinking, why does God do that? Why doesn't he just go and get on with what he's going to do straight away? Why doesn't he fulfill the promise straight away? Why is there all this waiting? Abraham is promised, you will become the father of all nations. You will have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And then he has to wait for years before his wife gets pregnant and they start this filling the world with their descendants. And then Moses, you know, Moses spent a lot of his life waiting, okay? He waited in exile for 40 years in Midian before he was called back to go and be Israel's deliverer. And then God promises that, um, that Moses will lead the people of Israel to a land flowing with milk and honey to the promised land. But they spend 40 years wandering around in the desert, waiting. Moses spends 40 years listening to the Israelites' moans, 40 years desperate, 40 years of frustration, 40 years of hunger before they reach the promised land. And Jesus, have you noticed that Jesus has to wait? He waits for 30 years, even before he begins his ministry. He then waits for 40 years, enduring that constant temptation by the devil before he can go and start to preach the good news to the poor and proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he waits in the Garden of Gethsemane, waiting, agonizing, suffering, 
wrestling with the promise he has to fulfill to be the salvation to the world. For Abraham, for Moses, for John the Baptist, who is waiting for the Messiah, for Jesus, there is always this waiting time between the promise and its fulfillment. And all these people could have just grabbed hold of God's promise and blundered and rushed through, stepping on toes, doing their own thing, in their own strength, in their own timing. But all of them stopped and waited and watched and listened and trusted in God until the time was right. So why does God do that? Why does God leave them to wait? Why doesn't he do what he's going to do straight away? And I think he doesn't because there's something that happens in the waiting. Something about putting yourself aside and learning to trust in God and his promises and in his love and learning to rely on him in a deeper way and putting your trust fully in him, the one who knows. Many of you will know that uh, recently John and I have had to wait. When we came here, uh, when God called us uh, to Edinburgh, we felt that God had called us both here. Uh, That it wasn't just about me uh, uh, getting this job at P's and G's, but we were in this together and God had something for John as well. And then John couldn't find a job. Uh, For 18 months, uh, he looked at the Times Educational Supplements on a daily basis Uh, And it wasn't even as if there were were jobs coming up and he was applying for them and not getting them. For 18 months, there was no geography teaching job advertised uh, permanently in Edinburgh and the Lothians. And we were like, what is going on, God? You know, why have you brought us here? We trusted you. What is this plan that you've got for us? You know, why are you not coming up with the goods in the way that we expected you to? And I felt really cross with God, to be honest. And I had that sense of, you know, we've been obedient. Have you noticed this, God? You know, so why are you not doing your part of the bargain here? But weirdly, in that time of waiting, we didn't lose hope. Because we still held on to this deep sense of God had called us here. And that it was right to be here. But the waiting has been tough. And maybe you can identify with this time of waiting Maybe you're in a difficult place of waiting right now. Or maybe recently you've been walking alongside somebody who's been in that time of waiting. You've been waiting for a diagnosis. You've been waiting for something to happen. You've spent those desolate hours waiting by the bedside of somebody you love. You're waiting for a job. You're waiting for a change in relationship. You're waiting for some hope. You're waiting for your prayer to be answered. You're waiting for something to happen. And that place of waiting can often feel like it's endless. We bang on God's door during that time and we say, let me in, let me know what's going on. How long is this going to go on for? Why? Why is this so painful? How long will it last? Will things change? And I expect we all know how that feels, because even if we're, though we're not in that place now, we might have been in the past, or we might know somebody else who's been there. And even though I'm rubbish at waiting, 
If I avoid the weight, I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on something that God has for me. One of the things that I continue to learn, and I've been challenged by during this time uh, that John and I have been waiting for him to get a job, is not to blunder on through and try and organize everything myself, but to trust in God's perfect timing. And I find that really hard because I like to blunder on through and organize everything myself. And generally, I believe that my timing and my plans and my answers to things are the best. Um, And actually, God should fit in with my schedule and my plans. But it's in those moments that I catch myself. And I ask, do I trust in God's promises to me? That he loves me, that he has promised he will be with me and never leave me. That he has got a hope and a future in him. That that he does want us to have life and life in all its fullness. And do I really believe that God is the Lord of lords and the King of kings who knows better than me how our lives are going to be? And he is the God who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings who is worth listening to and worth following and allowing him to be the king of my life. Well, if the answer is yes, then in the waiting, as hard and as painful as that sometimes is, We can trust in God's promises, but we can also trust in his timing too. One of the participants on the network course uh, this week was telling me about someone who found a chrysalis, uh, which was moving slightly, and it seemed that the butterfly inside the chrysalis was struggling to get out. Uh, And so the person uh, decided they'd give the chrysalis a helping hand, and they got a pair of scissors and snipped the bottom of the chrysalis and out fell the half-formed butterfly and immediately died. The caterpillar had to go through its full metamorphosis to become a beautiful butterfly. And there is nothing that we can do to fast forward the waiting time. Jesus tells his disciples to wait, to wait for the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, and they did. They went to Jerusalem, and they waited, uh, about 120 of them, for 14 days. But they didn't know it would be 14 days, and so I was thinking, what did they do in that time? And it's really interesting, because in Acts 1, 14, a bit further on from the passage we read today, it says that they joined together in constant prayer. They didn't know that it was only going to be 14 days to Pentecost. They could have been like praying for a few months there. But they joined together in constant prayer. In that time of waiting, the disciples were united in prayer. They persisted in prayer. And even though Jesus had promised them the Holy Spirit, their prayer wasn't superfluous. But they prayed and they waited. Why? Because they were continuing to seek God. They were preparing themselves for what was to come. They were keeping in step with God during that waiting. They were probably banging on God's door as well and petitioning God. Over the past 18 months, I've waited and I have prayed a lot for John to get a job. It wasn't always nice, polite praying either. A lot of the time I was telling God what I really thought about him type praying. It was cross and come on God type praying. And then about 10 weeks ago, a geography teaching job came up and John applied and was interviewed. And we had another agonizing wait, knowing that if he didn't get get this job, there was probably not going to be any other jobs for the next academic year. 
and we waited. And even after the interview, they really kindly kept us hanging on for 24 hours after that. And then John got a phone call uh, to say that he got the job. And it was the perfect job for John. It was God's perfect timing. But during the waiting, it wasn't always pleasant. But I have learned and I've been challenged and formed. And God has taken me during that time of waiting to deeper places with him. I promise you wait I will, I will, I will, God says. I will do what I promise, but not always in the way that we expect. Isn't that something that we need to grasp and learn? I will, God says, I will do what I promise, but not always in the way that you expect. Look back at this conversation uh, between Jesus and his disciples. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They think that the gift Jesus is talking about is is that the land, uh, the promised land, that will be taken back from Roman rule to the people of Israel. And Jesus responds in this way. He says, it's not your, the time and place. It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus is saying, it's going to be like the time of John the Baptist, brought when John the Baptist brought in this baptism of repentance and renewal, but it's going to be so much more than that as well. I'm going to blow your expectations, Jesus is saying, out of the water. And Tom Wright, the theologian, puts it like this. Jesus is saying, instead of being plunged into water, you will be plunged into the Holy Spirit. Instead of a renewal which would form them as a restored Israel, waiting for God to become their king, they will experience a renewal which would form them as a restored humanity, celebrating the fact that God was becoming king of the whole world and knowing that as a reality inside their own selves. Wait, and I will do far more than you ask or imagine. I will fulfill my promise in my way, not in your way. And so the promise that Jesus gives the disciples is for something far bigger, far more reaching uh, than just the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He's giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power to bring healing and transformation and restoration to people's lives. 2,000 years ago, uh, when the disciples received the gift, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that we still have today as well. This is not just about God restoring one people in one place at one time, but Jesus is saying it's about bringing my restoration to all people in all places for all time. Jesus just blows it out of the water. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will take part in my plan, he's saying. You will be my witnesses. All of us will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I promise, you wait, I will. And so he says to us today, wait and trust. Trust in me and my promises to you. Trust in my timing that it's perfect. Trust that I will blow your expectations of me out of the water. I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit to walk this walk, to live this life, 
to witness and, uh, and serve me and to serve my world, to speak of me, to be my hands and my feet, to demonstrate my love, to heal in my name, to take people from darkness to light. Wait, and I will fill you with this power, the power of the Holy Spirit. I promise you wait, and I will. <laughs>